If you take a look at your bulletin all morning, or already this morning, you may have seen um, the title of our sermon. And the title of the sermon this morning is Becoming an Antichrist. Now, most of the time when you hear the word Antichrist, you probably think of the Antichrist, right? You, then this is a, the figure who will oppose Jesus in the last days and the end of time and his people and kind of lead the forces of evil. And all throughout much of Christian history, really, people have spent a lot of time kind of trying to figure out, well, who is that? And especially at different moments in history, people have decided, I think it's that person or maybe it's, it's that person. But that's not who we're talking about this morning. And that's not who John is talking about this morning in chapter 2 of 1 John. In fact, what John is talking about is John says that not only is there the Antichrist, there are actually many Antichrists. And so what he says here is what should scare us is that there are actually some among them who were in their church, who worshipped alongside them, who led, who served with them, who are now known as Antichrists. Now, I, think not, I don't think any of us in this, this room would like to be called antichrists. Okay, even if you're, you find yourself in this room and you're not a believer, you, you're listening later and you don't know Jesus, you still probably wouldn't want to be an antichrist. Right? None of us want to be that. But John is telling us that this is true for many. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to show you, through John's letter, how someone becomes an antichrist. I'm going to do something a little different. You may notice we've got five points. And kind of what I'm going to do is we're going to start at the end of chapter 2 and we're going to work backwards through because John builds his way up to eventually then call and say these people are antichrists. But I want to start there and show you, well, how does someone get to that place? And so if you would, turn with me in your Bibles um, to 1 John 2. And if you would, just stand as I attempt to read from God's Word. So my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Forever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. And the old commandment is the word that you have heard. And at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning, and I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and all you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because there no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son. Who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, so you should have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true, there is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears may have confidence and not shrink from shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who has practiced His righteousness has been born of Him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's Word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that You would be here this morning. Um, I ask that You would illuminate Your Word. Lord, this is one of these passages that is can be more difficult to stomach, more difficult to understand, and more difficult to preach. I pray that You would um, be here, that You would open our eyes, You would open our ears. Um, would You remove distractions? Would You, maybe in Your grace, work out whatever is going on with the sound system that I probably messed up when I was working on it this morning? Uh, but Lord, above all, would You just help us hear from You? and from your word. We just pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. So I'm going to start here in our first point and just kind of define what do I mean um, when I'm talking about antichrists. Before I do that, maybe I can tell you what I might have done. I, I think I turned up the pulpit mic and the monitors on accident, or my thing, so that could be it. You, I don't know. There's enough people smarter than me can figure it out. But I know I did that, so that could have been how I broke it. <laughs> but anyway, so let's come back. Thinking about the Antichrist. So when we say an Antichrist, what do we mean by that? And so point number one, I'm going to define that for you and give you the definition that John gives. And John says that Antichrists deny the apostles' teaching about Jesus. So antichrists deny the apostles' teaching about Jesus. Now, two, you, you may wonder when you saw that title or heard this morning, why in the world are we talking about this? Well, I didn't wake up last week on Monday morning and say, you know what? I really want to preach about antichrist this week. That just sounds like a hoot. I think that's what I'm going to do. But I'm talking about it because we're in chapter 2 of 1 John, and this is what John talks about in this chapter, and I want to always be a preacher or pastor who is driven by the Word and say what the Word says and not pick my own agenda. And this is what God's Word says, so this is what we're doing. Verse 18, because we're going to start at the end and try and work backwards. He says, children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, but now many Antichrists have come. So we know it is the last hour. John says, yes, you all have heard about the Antichrist. Most people, whether they grew up in church or not, have heard of Antichrist or the Antichrist. 
But John says, hey, it, he's, he's coming, sure, but there are already antichrists here among us today. And what's true in John's day, if that was true then, I think it's still true today. It has been true at every age and every time that believers have lived, that there are people who are antichrists. Not the antichrist, but an antichrist. And so how does John define it? I think he defines it in 22, where he says, this is the antichrist. It's usually good. <laughs> When they identify it, okay, I'm not making it up. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And who no one who denies the Son has the Father. And so this is John's definition of it. It's someone who denies that Jesus and really ultimately God are who they say that they are. It is someone who says, you know, it's kind of unpacked it. So first they deny that Jesus is the Christ. So when Jesus came and said, hey, I am the Christ, that wasn't his last name. That wasn't Joseph and Mary. It wasn't Joseph and Mary Christ, and now it's Jesus Christ. No, Christ is a title. And the, it means that he is the Messiah. He is the king who was promised that would come and would save his people and redeem them and save them and lead them to new glory and redemption. And so when someone says, Jesus is not the Christ, they say, no, he's not the Messiah. He's not the king. Jesus isn't the Savior. Jesus really isn't who He says that He is. Say, so maybe Jesus really didn't come to be a Savior. He just came to be a nice teacher. Tell us all to love one another and be kind. And that's kind of it. He wasn't the Christ. So that's part of what, it, what that means is denying that Jesus is who He says He is. But it's also, the second part of it is denying the Father and the Son. So someone who denies that Jesus is God. Not just a nice man. Maybe even a really good man, someone to, to follow, good example, had some good ideas, followers are kind of crazy. That's what some people would say today. But this is someone who denies that he, Jesus really is God, which is who Jesus said that he was. And this Antichrist, this individual says, well, Jesus is just a man. He's not the incarnation. He is not God wrapped up in flesh, born in a manger who came to save us. Denies this. And these people are called Antichrist, right? Anti is just, it's against. They are against Jesus. They are against what Jesus says. And it's not just that they're going against Jesus, they're also going against God's Word in the Bible and what He says. And when I say the Apostles' teaching, they're going against what the church has always believed from His Word from the beginning when Jesus came through Pentecost when the church was born to now. We don't believe anything new. We don't believe anything that the apostles did not believe before us about Jesus. And so these antichrists are not just opposing Jesus and calling Jesus a liar. They're also calling his apostles, his chosen people to lead his church, liars. And these antichrists also deny the apostles' teaching by leaving the church. See this in verse 19. They went out from us, but were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have continued of us. But they went out that I might, it might be revealed that they are not, or become plain, that they are not of us. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. In one sense, what I think some of what happens here is John also kind of restricts his definition of Antichrist some. It is not just anyone who denies Jesus. So don't hear this and then use this sermon as permission to start calling any unbeliever or people that you meet Antichrist. That's probably not a good way to invite people to follow Jesus. It's probably not the most loving. You can try that as your evangelism strategy. Report back. Tell me how that works. Um, really, please don't do it. But what I think he is saying is this is especially true of those who were in the church once 
who were members of the church, who submitted to Jesus, who said they followed Jesus, who said they followed John, who said they followed the Scripture, and now have left. And now are against and opposing Jesus. It appears they're, they're saying they're leaving the membership of the church, right? They were from us, but they weren't one of us. They were, they were in our midst. They weren't just hanging out in the back and, and left quickly before anyone could talk to them. They were a part of who we were as a church. We also need, don't go overboard here, but we should hear this warning. This warning does tell us, in a sense, that if you leave and you abandon the church, you are in danger of becoming an antichrist. So we need to hear that warning, but that also doesn't mean, don't go overboard, that doesn't mean that everyone who leaves the church, we should also call them up on the phone and tell them they're an antichrist and they better come back. Also not a great strategy, and I think going a little far from what this is saying. But what John is saying, especially here, it's not just they have left the membership of the church, but it is also they have left the teachings of the church. They've left the apostles' teaching. That they no longer want to submit to God and His Word. They don't want to submit to what John and Peter and Paul and James and Matthew and all of the other leaders said about Jesus. Really, all of us, if we're honest, I think, would rather be apostles than listen to an apostle. Right? All of us want to be in charge. We don't like submitting to authority. We don't like submitting to government. We don't like submitting to people who are over us. We don't like submitting to elders. We don't really like submitting to anybody. We all want to be the one that everyone else is submitting to, if we're honest. That's how a lot of us feel. We want to be our own authority. But what John tells and says here is, hey, when you leave... If you abandon the teachings of the church, you are in danger of becoming an antichrist. And the danger of this is in 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You can't deny Jesus. You can't say Jesus is a liar. You can't say Jesus is not who He says He is and expect to gain eternal life. Verse 25, and this is the promise that Jesus made to us, eternal life. So when you deny that Jesus is God, when you deny that Jesus, and you say, well, He didn't come down to save us from our sins and bring us salvation, well, then you're going to miss out on the salvation that He brings, more than likely. But so how does this happen? How does someone come to the place where they deny what the apostles and what God's Word says about Jesus in the Bible? Well, point number two, we're going to kind of keep working backwards and show you how this progresses, is that denying the Bible is a result, or we deny the Bible because we love the world. And we deny the Bible because we love the world. This is what happens. So you might think, wow, being an antichrist, that's pretty extreme, and it is. But the root of that, of opposing Jesus and his word, it comes from loving the world, I think. I don't think that people deny God's word all that often because of intellectual arguments primarily. Right? Because we are changed and we are impacted primarily by the things that we love. And once we've decided that we love something or we think something, then we go ahead and we try and find stuff to back up what we already believe. All right, now let me go find some intellectual arguments. Let me go find some articles. Let me find some blog somewhere that says what I already think so I can tell people why I'm so right. Right? Because you almost never change anybody's mind by giving them some statistics. Okay, we spent the last 18 months, two years, right, I'm sure, arguing about COVID or vaccines or politics and elections. Has anyone changed anyone's mind because you told them something? And they went, wow, you know what? I totally disagreed with you, but I'm going to go down to the courthouse right now and I'm going to change my party registration because that thing you sent me was just, I just can't deny it. That's it. 
Right? No. Okay? That's, that's not really how we work. Right? We, we are motivated by what we love. And we kind of figure out what backs that up later. And I think that's why John frames this in his passage saying, well, loving the world is what's going to lead you to denying the Bible. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That is a stark warning. You cannot love the world and the things of the world and also love God. Those are two different things. Can't serve two masters. Verse 16, and all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, why do we love the world? We love the world because we love the things that the world offers. The things that it, that it has for us, that it sets out on a table and says, hey, come and eat. Come and see what I have for you. I don't know what Jesus has for you, but come and look at what I offer. And when we look at it, we, we think it looks good and we want it. Eve wanted what the serpent offered in Genesis 3. It says in Genesis 3 that she, Eve looked at the tree and it was a delight to her eyes and the tree was to be desired. I think even in John, and using these words to describe it, is echoing Genesis 3 and Eve's temptation. Because the temptation of the world looks really good to our eyes. And when we're tempted by the world and what it offers, it leads us to forget. And Adam and Eve forgot that what God had spoken and they doubted his word, didn't they? The serpent said, well, did God really say? God couldn't have said that because look how good this looks. Don't, don't listen to what God said. Listen to your eyes. Listen to what your heart tells you. Just follow your heart. Listen to what you love. Don't, don't you just want to have this fruit? And so they doubted God's word. Why? Because they loved something else more. And it's the same thing for many today who love what the world offers more than they love God's word. Well, maybe God says, I can't do that, but it looks so delicious. Maybe God says, I shouldn't do that, but it feels so good. I want to do what I want to do. Another reason that we love the world is because we forget that it's passing away and will fade. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world will pass away. When Jesus returns and comes in glory, whenever and however that will be, he will remake the world. This present world will burn away with fire and it will be remade perfectly. And what that means is everything that the world offers is just going to pass and fade. That kingdom of darkness will go away. The desires of sin, even today, still pass. That's foreshadowing of what will come in the future. Nothing that the world offers you will remain in the life to come. The joy of ecstasy and drugs will pass. The satisfaction of lust will leave you empty. Your greed and materialism will not keep you happy. Fame is fleeting. Anything the world could offer you is just passing away. If you want joy that lasts forever, you have to love the things of God, not love the things of the world. But when we're deceived by the world, when we love what the world offers, and when we desire, we care far more about all of these other things instead of being obedient. And if we're not careful... Our love for the world will lead us to eventually denying God's word completely. Because if I love my sin, 
If I love doing what I want to do, then something's got to give. Either I have to admit that God tells me to not do that and I need to not do it, or I'm going to start changing God's Word because I want to do what I want to do. That is where the love of the world leads us. So Antichrist deny what the apostles and what the Bible says about Jesus, and they get to that denial. Why? Because they love the world. So how do we fall in love with the world? Point number three, I think that loving the world, or we love the world because we hate our neighbor. We love the world because we hate our neighbor. I'm going to keep just going backwards. And this section right here, kind of starting in 7 all the way through verse 14, is, introduces the biggest theme of 1 John, which is loving one another. And this chapter is really part of the, the reason I called this series, Love One Another. And it's central to Paul's argument. And he doesn't just say it here. He also is going to remind us again that we need to love one another in chapter 3. And he's going to say it again in chapter 4. And he's going to say it again in chapter 5. So if you think it's the only time I'm going to talk about this, you're, you're mistaken. Because John is just going to keep circling back and back and back and back to this command. That we are to love one another. Verse 7, Behold, beloved, I'm writing to you not a new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. And the old commandment is the word that you have heard. Well, what's that commandment? Well, it's the same one that Jesus said when he was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he said, there's only two. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your heart, all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. John repeats the same command of Jesus, that we are to love one another. And he tells us in verse 9, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. John says that if you are not loving one another, I'm not sure you're a Christian. If you don't love one another, if you actually hate one another, then you are probably living in darkness. And if you're in darkness, you're probably loving the world. And if you're loving the world, you're not far from denying His Word. And if you're not far from denying His Word, then you're not far from becoming an Antichrist. You see, I think all of these things are connected. It's a trajectory. And hating your brother, hating your neighbor is a bad place to be. And John repeats this again in verse 11 in his comments about the darkness. Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. So he says it again. And walks in darkness, again, because he does not know where he is going, because the darkness, again, has blinded his eyes. So between verses 9 and 11, John describes this person who hates their brother, is not loving one another, as being in darkness four times. Four times in three verses. In case you can't see this connection completely or don't buy it, let me draw it out a little more. So the person who hates their neighbor, who does not love one another, is stuck and trapped in darkness. And they are blinded by their darkness, right? Their eyes are blind, verse 11. Well, if your eyes are blind, it's going to be kind of hard to get around, isn't it? Especially if you are not used to being blind. And well, if you're blind, you're, you will be fooled by the desires of your eyes. Right? In verse 16, when it talks about the desire for all that is in the world, desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, pride of the life is not from the Father. I just circled and drew a line between our blind eyes in verse 11 and the desires of our eyes in verse 16. Because when our eyes are, eyes are blinded, we will be fooled by them when the world starts to offer us things. And this love for the world, 
this love for the things of the world, it, it develops, and I, I think it can start when we hate our neighbor. Well, how does this happen? Well, when we refuse to love one another, it's because usually we're being me-centric. I don't care about the one another's. There's all these one other one another commands in Scripture. Well, I don't. What about love me? Okay, how about everyone else loves me? I don't want to love other people. Let's, let's reverse this. Jesus, what are we doing? And we start to think or act or believe, even subconsciously, that the universe revolves around us. All of us have people we struggle with, right? You can think of, you, please don't name them, don't point at anybody, don't elbow anybody. But we can all think of people, right, that we particularly find difficulty with. Maybe they're annoying, they're frustrating. As soon as you see them in the grocery store, you're going to duck down another aisle or pull out your phone, right? We, we all have people that are like this. And really, the worst thing about people in general is that they don't get that the universe is supposed to be about me, right? Because all these people, they have the nerve to not do things that I want them to do. They believe things I'd rather them not believe. I want them to believe what I want them to believe. They don't vote the way that I think they should vote. They're voting some different way. Why didn't, they should have talked to me. I would have told them how they're supposed to do that. Okay? They don't act how I want them to act. They don't cheer for the right team. Right? All our problems with people are primarily they don't do what we want them to do. That's also usually people's problems with us as we aren't doing what they want us to do. And so we get frustrated. Instead of just loving people where they are, whether they deserve it or not, our love for people is often contingent on how much they do what we want them to do. That's not true love. And so if we're not careful, we begin to hate those around us because we believe that the world is all about me and all about what I want and all about giving me all the things that I love from the world. And you now have become an obstacle to that. And the more you frustrate my desires and me trying to get this, I, our frustration with people quickly turns into hatred. And if we believe the world is all about us, you're very quickly into falling. You're on your way to falling in love with it because the world would love to make the world all about you. The enemy and the world and sin, your, your own deceitful heart would love nothing more than to let you believe that everything should revolve around you, that everyone should do just what you want them to do. Now, instead of that, instead of hating our neighbor, we're called in verse 10 whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there's no cause for stumbling. And we're called to love one another. And love is much more difficult than hate. It's easy. It's, more, it's where our, our, we drift towards. We don't drift towards loving one another all the time. We drift towards getting frustrated and towards hatred. But if we abide in the light, if we are walking with Jesus, if we are not living in darkness, that means that we love one another, not just our brothers or our neighbors as Jesus reminds us, well, who is my neighbor? Really, it's everybody, especially that person you hate. That's your neighbor. Now, if we really love our neighbors that, or we love each other, this means a lot of different things. This means we'll refuse to lie about our neighbors. This means that we'll refuse to believe the worst about other people. This means we'll refuse to denigrate or insult one another, even if we think they deserve it or not. Why? Because we love them and they're made in the image of God. Loving one another means and requires a whole lot more than we're often willing to give it. It's easy to say we love one another too. It's harder to actually do it in every way that we treat each other. Now, I've got three more shots at explaining what it means to love one another. So I'm going to move on and we'll, we'll come back to this later. But it's all, again, this is all connected. 
Because if Antichrist denied what Jesus says in his teachings, and we deny Jesus in his teachings because we love the world, and then we love the world because we hate our neighbors, and well then, point number four is we hate our neighbors because we don't abide in Christ. We hate our neighbors because we do not abide in Christ. Verse number three, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Forever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. Well, the truth is not in him. Sounds a little similar to last week, doesn't it? Well, John doesn't mind repeating himself, and he's going to do it repeatedly throughout this letter, and it's not because he's old and senile, it's because he's kind of slowly expanding in greater detail what he means more and more. And what he is saying here that, hey, if you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, you do what Jesus tells you to do. And the primary commandment was saying, well, keep his commandments. And you say, well, what commandment? Well, that's why he spent all that time in verse 7 to tell us all about the commandment. What is the main commandment? To love one another. You can't obey Jesus unless you're abiding in Jesus. And that's so often the reason that we fail to love our neighbors is we're not abiding in him. Because if we are abiding in Jesus... It leads us to keep His commandments and it leads us to love one another. In abiding in Jesus, it leads us to just overflowing with the love of Jesus towards everyone that we come into contact with, not just for ourselves, but for others. And when I say uh, abide, what do I mean by that? Well, abiding, I think it means remaining. It, it means sitting. It, it means, and it's active. It's not a passive word. I mean, he's actively working and trying to make sure that every moment of our days that we are actually walking with Jesus. Verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I think this verse gives us one of the keys to abiding. If you want to abide in Jesus, you've got to walk after Jesus. If you want to abide in Jesus, you need to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Well, where is Jesus walking? Well, I should walk that way. Well, what is Jesus doing? What did Jesus do? How did Jesus treat one another? Well, that sounds like what I should be doing now. We need to love one another as Jesus loved one another. Well, how did Jesus do that? Well, even on the cross, what did Jesus do? It is, even at his, as he's being arrested, soldiers are there. And Peter being the knucklehead chops off one of these soldiers' ears. And what does Jesus do? Not the soldier, one of the, the slaves. Jesus goes and heals someone who is there to send him to his death. Someone who didn't ask for it. Someone who probably doesn't believe Jesus could do that. Why? Because of his love. And then what does Jesus do? He endures his mock trial and quiet humility. Even if he's spit on and he's mocked and he's doubted. Why? Not because he's meek, but because he's filled with love. That's what Jesus does. Now, how could we do that? Well, the only way we could do that is if we are abiding in Jesus. And this word keep is used repeatedly. We, we see it a number of times to describe this. Verse 3, keep His commandments. Verse 4, does not keep His commandments. Verse 5, keep His word. The, the keeping, I think, is kind of also helpful to understand abiding. It is active. It gives us the impression that abiding is something, again, we have to continually work at. It's almost as if God's commandments are like slipping through our fingers and we have to hold on tight and keep them close to our chest. This is why the, the Jews and God's people were commanded to, to keep God's word. Hide it in your heart. Write it on your doorposts. 
carry it around with you because you need to keep it close. Our natural walk is not to follow after the footsteps of Jesus. It's to get distracted by the things of the world and stuff around us. And then we will look back. Jesus is off somewhere and we have gotten way off of the path. And so we have to make sure that if we want to follow Jesus, we need to abide in Jesus. And so the Antichrist would deny who Jesus is. They deny the teaching of the Bible because they love the world. They love the world because they hate their neighbor. And we hate our neighbors when we're not abiding in Jesus. Well, what keeps us from not abiding in Jesus? This is our, our last point, number five. And we abide in Christ when we confess our sins. We abide in Christ when we confess our sins. And so we're all the way back to the very beginning now in verse 1. My little children, this is one of John's favorite ways to write to the church, which I love that. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that, it's a purpose statement, the reason I'm writing these things to you is so that you may not sin. The purpose of his letter is that we wouldn't sin, that we would be like Jesus. That we wouldn't love the world. We wouldn't not keep God's commandments. We wouldn't walk in darkness. Instead, we'd walk in Jesus. And this is why John builds up his whole argument. It starts here. I don't want you to sin. Well, why don't I want you to sin? We'll skip to the end of the chapter. You see, this is where sin can end up. And I don't want you to end up here. So as we've kind of just gone backwards through it, he wants them, instead of sinning, to abide in Jesus. But look at the rest of uh, verse 1. But if anyone does sin... It's quite a hypothetical. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, has anyone in here sinned? Maybe ever? I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but because if I did, then I might judge those who are, are not raising their hand. <laughs> right? But John tells us every single one of us sin. All of us. We've probably sinned this morning, unless you just woke up recently. Maybe you haven't had time yet because you're still waking up. You need your coffee. Every single one of us, again, will sin and find moments where we're not abiding in Jesus before this day is done, maybe before we even get to lunch. All of us will sin before we come again here next week. But if we sin, there's hope. Really, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He speaks on our behalf. Jesus is our mediator. We don't need priests. We don't need sacrifices. You don't even need me or other pastors. In order to experience salvation and the forgiveness of Jesus, you have an advocate in Jesus himself. Before the throne room of God in the heavens, where we would be afraid if we were transported there right now, we would be filled with terror to be before him. And yet, there before God right now is Jesus advocating on our behalf. He is our mediator. When we confess our sins, when we tell and are honest to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't believe that once again I lost my temper and yelled at that person. Jesus, I'm, I'm so sorry that again I have failed in whatever it is. Right after that we have Jesus who talks to God about it. You realize the significance of that? This is something, especially if you've been a believer for a long time, that you can forget. And it makes you, familiarity breeds contempt. It, it makes you forget the, to be, sit in awe and wonder of the fact that Jesus Christ 
is your advocate before God. Verse 2, and He is a propitiation, it's a big word, for our sins. And not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation is a big word. Another big word may or may not be easier is atonement. Or Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus paid the price for our sins. The wages of our sin is death and Jesus died on our behalf. He was the lamb. We, we sang that this morning. He was the lamb who was slain for us. And the spotless lamb. He was the lamb that all of those other little lambs pointed towards. And we don't need to kill any more lambs now or ever in the future because the lamb was slain for us in our sins. And Jesus doesn't just advocate and talk to God. He's not just our lawyer who's trying to get us off. He also, He pays our court fees. He pays our penalty. Jesus Himself ensures with His own blood that we are forgiven. That forgiveness is available to us. And this forgiveness is not just available to the elite, not just to those with college degrees or who grew up in church or know their Bibles really well. This forgiveness is available to anyone who sins, who's willing to confess it. If you are alive, forgiveness is available and Jesus would love to be your advocate for you if you confess your sins. That's all you have to do. And that's what it all comes down to. We, we know that we will sin, no matter how long you've walked with Jesus. But when we sin, we don't have to stay there. And the way that we abide in Jesus is we confess and we repent of our sins. In the person of Jesus, there is this. If you don't know Jesus, if you're walking in, in darkness, or even if you do know Jesus, but you've been walking in darkness and you've been falling in love with the world and loving the world and denying God's Word then I invite you, repent, confess your sins, and find forgiveness. There's forgiveness at the cross even for these antichrists if they would confess their sins and repent and turn to Jesus. If you are a Christian and you've been living in sin and darkness, you also need to confess your sins and repent. All of us need to repent. But there's forgiveness at the cross, because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. What these verses tell us is that we cannot, we cannot abide in Christ if we are not confessing our sins. When we refuse to admit our sins, when we refuse to confess them, refuse to repent, our relationship with God is impacted. It's not that our salvation is in danger, but you are not abiding and walking in the footsteps of Jesus if you are walking in your sins. And when you don't confess your sins, you can't abide in Christ. And if you don't abide in Christ, it will lead to hating your neighbor. And when you hate your neighbor, it leads to loving the world. And when you love the world, it leads to denying the apostles and the Bible. And when you deny those, you deny Jesus. It's kind of a progression we've been going through. But here's the wonderful thing. Confessing our sin reverses that. When we confess our sins, it allows us and it helps us to continually abide in Jesus every day. And when we abide in Jesus, it leads us to loving one another. And when we are loving one another, it leads us to loving Jesus and the things of Jesus more than loving the world. And when we love the things of Jesus more than we love the world, it leads us to affirming and standing true and strong on the Bible and His Word. 
And when we do, we accept and affirm Jesus as He is who He says He is. But this path, it can lead to wildly different places for some, either gaining eternal life or becoming an antichrist. But it all begins and it ends with confessing sin. I think that is at the core of this. So the way to avoid becoming an antichrist is confess your sins to Jesus. And at the feet of Jesus, you will find forgiveness. And so again, just kind of our, our points this morning, went through antichrist are those who deny the apostles' teaching about Jesus. We deny the apostles' teaching because we love the world. We love the world because we hate our neighbors. We hate our neighbors because we don't abide in Jesus, and we don't abide in Jesus when we don't confess our sins. But when we confess our sins, it reverses all of that. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, I don't know where you're at on the path, all of us should be abiding in Jesus and confessing our sins. Because if we do not do that, that leads us down a very dangerous path. I don't think John is saying that we lose our salvation because, again, he says... That's a whole other can of worms where he says these people are proving that they are not of us. But if you are of Jesus, if you do know Jesus, if you dare to call yourself a Christian, right, not an antichrist, but a Christian, in some ways a little Christ, that's where that name came from. So when we confess our sins, instead of turning into antichrist, we turn into being more like Jesus. So confess your sins, abide in Jesus. And love Him and the things of God. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I want to confess our, our sins this morning, Lord. I pray that You would forgive us. Lord, for, forgive me and forgive us all as a church for all of the sins that we have in our lives. Lord, there are sins, the things that we have done this morning already that are against Your commands. There are ways that we have not loved one another. There are probably sins that we have committed that we haven't even thought about or recognized. Sins that we are blind to. Lord, we, we confess those and we just ask for your forgiveness. The forgiveness that we know that you freely offer because Jesus is our advocate. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you give us forgiveness. That our forgiveness is not dependent on ourselves. It's not dependent on how amazing we are or how awesome we are. That our forgiveness is dependent on the blood of Jesus and the Lamb of God. Lord, I ask that you would help us to not lose sight of you. To not ever get over how amazing and wonderful it is. That you offer forgiveness and redemption to all of your children and to all of the world. Help us to confess our sins so we can abide in you, Jesus. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Won't you stand as we continue to worship our God? Amen. He is a great God. In this benediction from the end of 2 Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Go in peace.